seated. Thank you, Daniel. First uh, time I ever had a song leader whose diapers I remember smelling. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. That's my nephew, if you see the resemblance, right? <laughs> Go with me to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to preach a message that I have preached um, several times in several different churches. I believe with all my heart, it's a message that needs to be preached in every pulpit in America. I want to preach a message entitled, The God of Battles. The God of Battles. And as you're turning to Joshua chapter 10, I want to encourage you to keep something in that place, whether it be a a ribbon or a writing utensil or something, but stay there. We'll go to other places, but uh, our key passage will be in Joshua chapter 10. The God of battles, the God of battles. I am thankful that when the United States of America was attacked at Pearl Harbor, I'm thankful that we had a, a nation that was willing to go into battle. Amen. I'm thankful that we had a, a president and a Congress that said, you know what, there is a time to fight. When we were attacked on 9-11, I'm thankful that we had a, a president and a Congress that understood that there, we love peace and we want peace. But there were some men throughout the history of this country that understood that there was a time to fight. I really am saddened by the, the weak, effeminate view of God that's present today. And to combat that, I need to remind you that God is a God of war. He is a God of battles. And specifically, he is a God who fights our battles. Joshua chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse number 12. Joshua 10 verse 12. Scripture, then spake Joshua to the Lord, In the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, And hastened not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it. That the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Would you look at the last part of verse number 14? For the Lord fought for Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you... Bless this chapel time. Would you fill me with 
the power of the Holy Spirit to communicate what is on my heart and what I believe you want preached today. Oh, Lord, work in our myths. I pray, Lord, that we would think about our battles, but that we would also think upon you, the one who wants to fight those battles. Lord, I pray that you would bless and that you would convict, that you would do a work that I cannot do. Use the message to be a help, challenge, and encouragement to those that you brought together today. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've done. And I thank you even for what you want to do in the future. Oh, bless, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage, uh, five kings go to war with an ally of Israel. And they call Joshua for help. Joshua, we need you. We need you to come down and save us. Joshua means Jehovah is my salvation. That's the same name meaning of Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. They call upon the one who can fight battles. They're Joshua. And God fights for Israel. And he uses hailstones to fight for his people. God can use anything that he wants. The Bible says that the sun and moon stood still. Stood still. Moses died and the children of Israel were given the promised land, but they could not just get it. They had to go in and fight for it. And that's all throughout the the book of Joshua, the, the conquest of the land. When Moses died, they had to fight. Now, I'll be honest with you. I like war. I like fighting. Um, I like the idea of, 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 I don't want wars to be fought, but there's something about war that excites me. I love studying the Revolutionary War and how I believe there were some divine interventions that allowed this country to come into being in that war. I don't have time to go all into it, but if, if you would read history, you'll see that things took place with the weather during some of those battles that allowed George Washington to get the troops out of harm's way or, or to win the day. There's something about fighting that excites me. And I know you girls are made different. God made you that way. Uh, you would much rather uh, read a book maybe about some uh, romance and, and some Prince Charming bringing you uh, 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 flowers and all of that. But I, I like fighting. <laughs> I, I like war. God, God told Israel to fight for the promised land and to root the heathen out of it. And a lot of people, when they first come to the scripture, when they first start reading the Bible, they have difficulty with that because the children of Israel were told to kill and and many times without mercy, just go in and kill uh, even the little babies. And you may sit here and have a hard time with that yourself. But we have a sovereign God who knows what those little babies would grow up and become in the land that God had given to his people. And so in Joshua chapter 12, we have recorded for us 31 kings that Israel defeated. I love the fact that there's 31 kings because there's almost 31 days inside of every month. 
And it's a reminder to us that we will face battles every single day that we live. When the alarm clock goes off, the swords will clank again. Battles will be faced daily. I face them as just a a young man going to a Christian school in Oaklawn, Illinois. Southside Baptist School. The school is no longer, it's closed down now. But I, I, I arrived at that Christian school in uh, 1992 as a freshman. And I had no idea what I was getting into. In my mind's eye, I was you know, a bus kid getting out of the public school system and all of that, and I'm going to a Christian school. And I had no clue that uh, when I enrolled in that school, that I was the, the second black student to ever attend that school. Furthermore, I had no idea that the first student who had just graduated as a senior, I came in as a freshman, that when he came, the church split over allowing him to attend the school. The church literally split, say, we're, we're not doing that, and half the church walked out. And I knew that guy because I I had met him at youth rallies and I had heard him preach in the preaching competition. He was a really, really nice, meek, mild-mannered kid. And the church split. And then I showed up. (laughs) After having been kicked out of three Chicago public schools and, and I faced battles. I remember one day I walked into the lunchroom. It was right at the beginning of, I think, my sophomore year. And there was a kid in the school by the name of Rocky. Rocky. And uh, he thought he was hot stuff. His parents owned a roofing company and all of that. And he had a tough name. And I I was walking towards the lunch table and I was going to sit at the table where Rocky was and and some of the other uh, guys in my class and a few girls. And as I was walking toward the, the table, Rocky looked up at me and then he wanted to be smart and say it loud enough for everybody at the table to hear it. He said, oh, here comes the in and he called me that word now after I slapped him into next week I never had a problem with him but I faced battles like that every day going to that school and it was hard and I remember as a bus kid I would go home and and I get on my face before God and it would break my heart that people would be so cruel and mean. And I'd read the book of Psalm. And God would start to fight my battles. And it would be so exciting to see how he turned the hearts of those people to the point where when I graduated from that school, there was a love uh, that those, those same people had for me. And, and I can't explain it other than God can fight your battles. Amen. God is in control. But that does not mean that we get to avoid battles. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm preaching to someone right now that's going through a battle. And I'm here to tell you I know what it's like. Sometimes those battles are fierce, very hard, very complicated. And again, you wake up. And the swords clank. You may even feel like you're being defeated in the battle. Man, I'm not just in the battle. I'm being whooped. I'm being defeated. Being laid low. Can I remind you that according to God's word, 
There is one who has never lost a battle. And if you'll trust that he's in control, you can see that he can fight for you better than you can fight for yourself. I have a very good friend, very close friend. Um, And when you get that type of friend, you don't let him go. His name is Abram Williams. Uh, His dad, Larry Williams, pastors in Seneca, Pennsylvania. And somehow, someway, a kid from the projects in Chicago and a country kid from podunk Pennsylvania met up here at preaching conference and God just fused together a strong friendship we wrote each other letters uh, as at just growing up as kids and, and and now we're still close friends a few years ago my good friend Abram was at a Christian camp and in a game he got his leg busted up really really bad and it was intentional it was a it was a big kid that was playing the game to an extreme and went overboard, and Abram's leg was all busted up. Now, Abram's like me. He's got a temper. And uh, you got to understand, his leg's all busted up. He's a, he does drywall by trade. And so he, he just saw his livelihood, the means of supporting his family, go down the drain because of a punk kid that wanted to have a laugh. And he was in the hospital, Something with that leg injury triggered uh, a previous problem that he had with his heart. And he's laying in the hospital with a heart catheter, sweating through blankets. And his testimony to me was he laid in that bed and just said, Lord, I can't fight anymore. I can't fight anymore. Have you ever felt like that? I have. He said, I can't fight anymore. And he said the Lord spoke to him, not audibly. Okay, the Lord spoke to his heart by way of the Holy Spirit and said, it's not your fight. It's not your fight. Now, ironically, that's when his health began to turn for the better, when he was resigned to the fact that it's not his fight. If there's anything that I want to leave with you today concerning the battle that you're facing right now, it's not your fight. It's not your fight. Go with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. I know how it is. We go through maybe a long weekend and and work and classes and all of this. And it's very tempting to not let your mind focus on the word of God. And I'm asking you not to do that today. I'm asking you to focus on these scriptures because I believe the Lord has something for you if you'll listen. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 14. The Bible says, the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The Lord shall fight for you. In other words, it's not your fight. It's not your fight. Go to the next chapter, chapter 15, verse number 1, Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. The Bible says, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. Now look at verse number three. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
Now, Christianity has gotten away from viewing God the way that the Bible says that he is. And the battles are fierce. Many times the battles are against self. The battles are fierce. They are unexpected. They are powerful. Okay. Uh, this, this virus, this COVID virus, um, you know, people they have just lost their minds about what's going on right now. But if you've had it or been around somebody with it, it, it is different, uh, powerful in a sense, unexpected uh, in a real sense. Uh, but that's like our battles that we face every day. Powerful, unexpected wars. So what wars are being waged against you right now? What wars in your life, what battles are you fighting today, now? I want to give you some things. Number one, the God of war is the answer to worry, fear, and anxiety. Worry, fear, and anxiety. The answer to that is the God of war. Now look at the Bible. Look at verse number eight, Joshua chapter 10. I asked you to stay there. Joshua 10, verse number eight. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Joshua, fear them not. Fear who not? Those five kings. What was God's word to Joshua? Don't fear them. Don't fear them. Why? Verse number eight, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. The answer to fear, worry, and anxiety is not social media, not your friends, the God of war, the God of war. Go to Deuteronomy chapter one. Deuteronomy is the restating of the law. It's a review book in that sense. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God gave Moses a reminder to give to Israel. So Moses gave Israel this reminder in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse number 29. Then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. Now stop there. Don't dread. Don't be afraid or don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Why? Look at the next verse. Verse 30, the Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You don't have to worry and fear and dread and let that affect your life as a Christian when you know that the battle is being fought by the God of war. I have a a big brother, Ryan, seven years older than me. And my big brother's quite a bit bigger than me. He's taller, he's, he's, he's bigger than me, and um, he was kicked around a little bit as a kid. And he got sick of it, and uh, he started to take some steps to learn how to protect himself. And back in the day, my big brother was really in good shape. I mean, just like muscle-bound and, and all of that. So he started taking martial arts, he took Kung Fu lessons, and he got good at it. He got really good at it. Um, 
it used to be a crowd would surround him and take his gym shoes, take his leather jacket. I remember that stuff happening. After he started taking those lessons, he could take three or four guys uh, and hold them down until the police came. And he just got really good at it. And at the same time that he was really good at Kung Fu, I was getting picked on at school by a big, tall, black guy named Levette. And Levette, was, he was a terror to me uh, because it was a classic bully who would take your lunch, take your lunch money, you know, tell you what he's going to do to you and all of that stuff. And my big brother took wind of the fact that I didn't even want to go to school because of Levette how scared he had me. I mean, just, I'm a little kid, and he maybe was 12 or 13, but he looked like a monster to me. And he was ugly, too. <laughs> it always makes it worse with a bully when they're ugly. Um, but he, he, he would bully me every day. I went to my, my brother. I told him about it. And he said, okay, I'm going to come after school, and I'm going to meet right outside the door. And first thing you're going to see when you come out is going to be me. And to make a long story short, we did not live in the same vicinity of the city of Chicago. So my brother had to travel across the city, got on public transportation. I don't know if you ever rode the L train, but he got on public transportation in full Kung Fu gear. (laughs) Must have been a sight to behold that day. And I wondered, is my brother really going to show up? He said he would, but I know my brother and it would be just like him to not show up. But I wondered, would he show up? And when those doors open... When school let out, and my, I looked, and my brother was standing at the bottom of the staircase just like this, looking like Karate Kid, you know. <laughs> and, and when I saw him, a big old smile came over my face. And he said, he said point him out. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> right there. And he, he went up to that kid and got in his face. He said, I'm going to tell you something. You mess with my little brother again, I will slam you. And that's all he said to him. And instantly, I had a great friend the next day named Levette. I never had another problem out of that guy. Why? Because I had an older brother that was willing to fight for me. You need to forget all of the worry, fear, and anxiety and put your mind back on the fact that you have an older brother that'll say, "I'll, I'll go to your battle and I'll fight your battle for you. You don't have to worry about it. I had all kinds of worries in my life in Bible college when I was here. You know what one of the biggest battles I faced in Bible college here was? You know what one of the biggest battles? My teeth. I wasn't made to take good care of my teeth coming up as a kid. I wasn't made to to brush my teeth and do all of that stuff. And when I came here to college and I had a school bill, at the same time that the school bill was growing, my teeth were just going haywire. I mean, I had you know, all kinds of stuff going on. And I went to the dentist and they told me everything that needed to be done. And I remember going into Pastor Darren's office uh, in charge of the finances at the time as an assistant here before he became the pastor. And I remember going in there. He had my school bill in, in front of him. And I, I had a big old abscess growing. And he looked at me. He looked at my bill. He looked at me. He said, well, you got to take care of your face. <laughs> now, that was an expensive, hard battle for me. It was. I had financial difficulties. I had problems with with my classes. And the battles didn't stop because I graduated from here and went out into the ministries. We've had problems 
as we, as we started our church. We've, we've had problems all along the way. Battles. And some of them so fierce that I knew it was over. But God always came and fought the battles. One of those battles is we, we raised support like a missionary. For, we were in uh, 80 churches in one year and exactly 40 churches took us on. And we wanted our church to become self-supporting uh, financially. We, we, wanted, we wanted to be able to, to, to be an independent Baptist church. And I remember when the Lord said, okay, write all the churches and tell them to stop sending money. Now, who does that in their right mind? But I knew that it was time and I knew God was leading. And I, I sat down and I wrote a letter and I was so fearful to drop that letter in the mail to the 20 churches that were still supporting us to tell them, stop sending money to us. And I was so faithless that I couldn't even mail the letters. I asked uh, one of the ladies in our church, I said, you need to go mail these letters before I change my mind. And those letters hit the mail and the support stopped. But God fought for us and he preserved us and he kept us. And that's the same God that wants to fight your battle today. How liberating it is to put the battle into his hand instead of you going crazy trying to fight it yourself. The battle's the Lord's. And can I say this? That battle is too big for you. I don't care who you are. It's too big for you. And the God of war is the answer to worry, fear, and anxiety. Number two, the God of war reveals a way when there is no way. Have you ever felt that way? The God of war will reveal a way when there is no way. Look at verse number 12, Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. He's fighting He's warring. God's given the victory, but he said, I need a little bit more sunlight to keep killing these folks. I need a little bit more sunlight. And it didn't seem to be a way to get it accomplished until God created a way when there was no way. Verse 13, and the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. On uh, Saturday a box came to our house and it didn't have an address on it that I recognized. And I opened it up and it was a, it was a ham. Somebody had mailed us a really nice big ham. And uh, I'm glad we didn't just throw it in the corner and forget about it. But I, I was able to peel the labels back and finally figure out who it was that sent it to us. Um, it, was, it was my landlord uh, that we had when we were renting. We own our house now. But when we were renting, we, we rented from a man, and, uh, an unsaved man, but he, he sent us a ham just out of the blue. And I remember when we were renting from him and we thought about, wouldn't it be nice to someday own a home? It was never a covetous issue with me. I was content to rent and to die in the house that we started renting there in Hyde Park. But we thought about, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to, to someday own a home? And, and, and God made a way when there was no way. You understand, to, to buy a house, you, you, need, you need some money, right? <laughs> and we didn't have any money. There was no money there for a down payment. Somebody called up on the phone, and we, we, we weren't looking for houses. We were planting a church. Somebody called up on the phone and said, hey, Courtney, uh, I've got $20,000, and I, 
and I want you to use it for a down payment on a house. And if you don't, I'm going to send it to a missionary. Honey, let's go start looking for houses. There was no way there. Not, not, a, not even a covetous desire at all. But God makes a way when there is no way. And I know there's somebody here facing a difficulty, and it looks like there is no way. And, and in a real sense, you've come to the end of your hoarded resources, and you don't see how it can happen. You see no way forward. I want to tell you that there's a God of war who can create a way when there isn't one. He makes a way. Go with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Pastor Lewis, there's no way. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what I'm up against. You don't know what I'm fighting right now. I don't need to know what you're fighting. I know the God who can create a way when there is none. Look look, look with me at Exodus 14, verse number 11. The Bible says, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. I'm going to take care of your enemies. Why? Look at the next verse, verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they, what? Go forward. Uh, Moses, what are you crying about? What are you crying about? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Can I say to you today, Fairhaven Christian Academy, Fairhaven Baptist College, what are you crying about? God wants you to go forward. You say, go forward? Now transport yourself to this occurrence. Go forward. Uh, There's basically mountains on this side of us. There's mountains on this side of us. The full might of Egypt is behind us and the Red Sea is in front of us. Go forward. Go forward. Because there's a God who can create a way when there is no way. Look at verse number 16. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the mist of the sea. Pastor Lewis, I see no way with this relationship. Pastor Lewis, I see no way with this class. I see no way with this student that I'm in a dorm room with. I see no way on this bus route. I see no way in this Sunday school class. I see no way with this friendship. No way with this health problem. Can I remind you, that's exactly the type of battle God likes to fight. There was no way in my life because I had no father. And the statistics when a kid has no father are really, really bad. There was no way. What a battle. But God can create a way 
when there is no way. I have carried this in my day planner since December of 2007. It's a bill when my daughter Lois was born. Uh, her twin sister was lost in the womb. And Lois was, was premature and had to spend three weeks in neonatal intensive care. And I got this bill in the mail just a couple months after she was born, dated December 26th. Merry Christmas, 2007, amount due, $51,167.13. And you say, why have you been carrying that around since 2007? Because I need to be reminded often that there's a God who can create a way when there is no way. I don't have time to go all into it. But I was working a job at a mortgage company, and I had insurance. The insurance took care of the bill. And about three weeks later, the, insur- the, 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 the mortgage company I was working for folded and went out of business. Had, had that been any closer, I could not have entered the ministry owing a bill of 51000 God took care of it. When we started the church, we said, Lord, we'd like to have a church building someday if it's in your will. And somebody, uh, Daniel's father was looking on the internet and sent a link to a building in, in Woodlawn right outside of Hyde Park. And I went and, and looked at the pictures and I saw, oh man, Lord, could you, could you give us this building? And he gave us the building. A year later, somebody sent a $50,000 check and said, now use this for paint and drywall, fix it up. And, and stuff started coming together, and it's a beautiful building, and it's getting better and better every, every time we turn around. I'm just saying, landlocked Hyde Park, we saw no way that we'd ever have a church building. I don't know what you're fighting today, but I know the God that can make a way when there is no way. Number three, the God of war gives us previous victories to remind us of his might. The God of war gives us previous victories. You're still in Joshua chapter 10. Look at verse number 24. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. I think this is one of the greatest object lessons in all the Bible. Verse number 25, and Joshua said unto them, fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. What an object lesson that these captains, these men of war could look back and remember the day that they put their feet upon the necks of those kings. Why were they told to do that? So that they could remember, have a memorial to the God who can fight our battles. Go with me to Numbers chapter 13. Giants will steal your faith if you let them. If he gives you a previous victory, hang on to it. Don't let it go. You need that, not just for the battle you're in now, but for the battle you're going to face down the road. You need memorials. Numbers chapter 13, verse number 30. Numbers 13, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They were wimps. That's what they were. They were wimps. 
Verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, these naysayers, it's important for you to understand this. These naysayers, these cowards, these wimps, they had seen the Red Sea split, and they still didn't get it. Now, Joshua and Caleb got it, but these people had seen God come down and divide the Red Sea, and they still didn't get it. And we are so many times like them. God will come down and work on our behalf, and we'll know that God did it. We'll know that man couldn't have pulled it off. He'll divide the Red Sea for us, and then a little bit later, we will forget and say, can God do this too? No, you need to hang on to your Red Seas. And remember that the same God that helped you before can help you again. Don't you ever forget your Red Seas. David confronted the giant and God fought his battle. Don't complain about your giants. Confront them in the strength of the Lord. Everybody else, when they looked at Goliath, when they looked at Goliath, they saw, whoa, look at how tall he is. They were amazed and full of fear. David made one observation. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? They looked at his height. David said he's not circumcised. In other words, he hadn't been to the doctor. And what does that mean? He wasn't under the covenant protection of God the way Israel was. And David said, that man is a heathen. He may be a tall heathen. He may be a strong heathen. But he's a heathen. And we've got God on our side to fight our battle. Confront your giants. In April... Of this year in Chicago, the governor and the mayor's stay-at-home order put our church in a position where we had to obey God rather than man. The mayor would get up and press briefings. The governor would get up and press briefings. And they wouldn't breathe a word about God's churches. Even when they were pressed about what about churches, they would just skim over it as if we did not exist. There's no doubt in my mind that this virus is real. But there's also no doubt in my mind that the old devil, Satan himself, has piggybacked on this thing to perform a frontal attack on God's churches. We stopped our bus routes. We suspended Sunday school. But we kept having Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night church along with visitation. And it seemed like we were operating under the radar without disruption until April the 19th. That day, as I was on the the platform and the congregational music was being led, a police officer came into our church building, spoke to the men in back, and said that we had to disperse. We had to disperse. 
they gave me the word. I came down off of the platform and I talked to the cop in back and I said, is there anything we can do? I said, can we just continue with this service? Well, we're in process. Can we continue with the service and then we'll go outside and, and maybe in the future and make other plans going forward? He said, no, you've got to end this service immediately. You've got to end it immediately. You've got to disperse the people that are here. You have too many, and you know. He pointed to another church. He said, you know that church? They're not open. Why are you open? And uh, he said we had to disperse. I told him we would take our service outside. And he said, that'll be okay. At that point, I was not looking for permission. Uh, We were going to have church. And we started outdoor services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I will never forget those services. In fact, since we've been back in our building, we've gone back outside by choice just because of some things that the Lord showed us during that time outside and some ways that he used it. People pulled over in their cars at times and parked, shut their engines off, rolled the windows down, and listened to the messages that were preached there's a man that, that comes every Sunday night. He's come about every Sunday night since he started hearing us uh, preach outdoors. And he, was there, he was there last night. I don't know if he's saved yet. I'm still working on him. But he heard us outside, and he stopped and stood and said, there's somebody preaching the truth. And God did some things. I dug into my Bible, and I preached heavily in the open air, loud and clear on God and the government and the Bible. It was a good time of... I believe solidifying our men for the stand we would be called to take next. Our First Amendment right had been trampled upon by, by a police officer that was, that was told he had to break up a church service. But more than that, I, 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 I started using different language with our men and saying, not just our right to peaceably assemble, that's under the Constitution, but we have a divine mandate that goes higher than the Constitution. There are countries that don't have a Constitution, but they still have a divine mandate to assemble together, and we're being asked to go against God. And so I felt God leading, and I decided that we needed to go back inside of the building no matter what. Now, that would be going directly against the mayor's stay-at-home order. That would be going directly against the governor's stay-at-home order. I knew that. I told our men that Keith Gomez, a fundamental Baptist church, pretty prominent fundamental Baptist church he pastors in Elgin, Illinois, uh, I was told that he was leading a loose coalition of about 60 independent Baptist churches, all in Illinois, that had decided they were going to go back inside of their building on May the 17th. And this man seemed ready to fight. And I know that I was ready to fight. The coalition was also backed by free legal service, uh, pro bono legal backing from a religious liberty organization. We were told that they would represent any of the 60 churches In a court of law, if we had any problems, I presented all of this to our men. I said, I believe we need to go back inside of the building no matter what. And we've got free uh, legal counsel, too. I presented that to the men, and we voted unanimously as men to go back inside of the building. Uh, Brought it to the church. We voted unanimously as a church to go back inside of the building. Mayor Lori Lightfoot made it clear 
that she would make sure that law enforcement came out to enforce and shut down churches who went against her order. Now, now listen, liquor stores and abortion clinics were okay, but she said that she would put her foot on the necks of pastors that went against her order. Now, now listen to me. At the very same time this is happening, there is a, a young lady in our church, pregnant out of wedlock, and she's got heavy pressure on her from her unsafe family to go out and have an abortion. And according to what Mayor Lori Lightfoot is saying to me as a pastor, she can go kill her baby. But I can't have her in church to counsel her to keep that life alive. I said, no, sir. No, sir. Cross the line. It's comforting to know that we weren't alone, though, that there were 60 other churches. And that there was legal representation, so we thought. As May 17th got closer, I would be on conference calls with all of these pastors, 60 pastors led by Keith Gomez. He sharply criticized pastors who wouldn't open their doors. Sharply criticized them. I mean, he he got on to us, man. And I remember he said on one call, he said, why don't you pastors sprinkle some gunpowder on your eggs and open your door? Now, that kind of stuff gets me going. Yeah! Let's open the doors. He told us to man up. And I agreed with him. The legal organization, First Liberty, gave us a list of strict guidelines and said, we want you to follow these guidelines when you open so that when we back you, we can say that you did X, Y, Z. And these guidelines were designed to be way more strict than any other business that was deemed essential. And we got on board. I don't have time to tell you everything we did to go overboard. But I'm telling you, we did some amazing stuff. And I would reach out to the legal organization for advice, and they wouldn't return my call. They wouldn't show any support for us. Finally, I got an email uh, stating that they would not be representing Cornerstone. They would not be helping us. I found out the hard way that because of the liberal courts in Chicago, that they didn't want to touch us with a 10-foot pole. They were hoping for some case downstate Illinois uh, where it's more conservative, where they would have a better chance of winning a case in the courts. They didn't want to touch anything to do with Chicago. And I found out that 99% of the people will weigh who has the power. In other words, who they can benefit the most from, and they'll stand with them. And that's very disturbing to me. It was disturbing to know also that we had no legal backing, but we said we were going to open our doors, and that's exactly what we did. I sent a letter to the governor, the mayor, our congressman, our aldermen, the Chicago police, the University of Chicago Police, stating that Cornerstone Baptist Church would open its doors on May 17th, and we would do that despite what they were telling us. And then, Saturday afternoon, the day before we're going to go back into our building, I got an email from one of the assistant pastors at Pastor Gomez's church stating that they weren't going to reopen the next day. That they had decided that it was in their best interest to back out. Now, 
you, you imagine me, I'm sitting in a church van reading this email. I was livid, sir. And I, and I literally started shaking. I started shaking because a man that, and I have no personal vendetta against that man or any other, but a person said that they were leading the charge with 60 churches out to battle. And then as the general, he deserted us. I found out that a lot of loudmouth Baptists are really yellow-bellied cowards. And it's a sad day. It's a sad day when we're losing our religious liberty that was fought and won for by Baptists. By Baptists. You want to know why we have religious liberty in this country? Baptists, largely by Baptists, and, 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 and it's Baptists that are letting go of it. And so we have people in our Protestant churches, we have people in our Reformed theologian churches, we have them taking a stronger stand than independent fundamental Baptists for religious liberty. Something's wrong with that picture. But the sheriff told those people in Elgin that if they showed up, for services that the law enforcement would enforce the governor's stay-at-home order. I got on the phone with that assistant pastor, and I rebuked him, and he needed to be rebuked. Amen. And I told him to send a message to Pastor Keith Gomez that there was a small church in Chicago that was going to open up the next day because we said we would, and because we believed that God would undertake for us. But you see, God didn't want us to depend on the courage of Keith Gomez. And God didn't want us to depend upon free legal counsel. He wanted us to depend upon him, the one that can fight our battle. So we pledged to open the building the next day. That's exactly what we did. I wrestled with God the night before, knowing that they could come and shut us down again and arrest me. That's what the mayor said would happen. Right before I fell asleep that Saturday night. I got a text message from a pastor friend of mine that knew what was going on. And he sent me the account of John Bunyan's trial and arrest. And how, wake up, John Bunyan's trial and arrest. And how John Bunyan was in prison. And he didn't have paper to write Pilgrim's Progress. He didn't have paper. But he took took the wads of paper that that was stuck in the milk bottles. And he pulled those wads out and gave us Pilgrim's Progress. Wads of paper from milk bottles. Because they gave him no paper. Oh, that was a comfort to me. I thought about Pastor Roger Vogland's battle against child advocacy in the 1970s. These things gave me courage. The next morning, there was more wrestling with God. Wrestling. But God gave me clear direction and strength. To go forward with the services. I left my house that morning ready to go to jail. We had a contingency plan in place. Uh, they were going to have to come and take me off the platform. Uh, I wasn't going to go down. They were, I wasn't going to resist, but they were going to have to come and take me off the platform. And I wanted everybody flashing cameras. We met for both services that day with no incident except for a couple of reporters. We rejoiced that God protected us. And then the next weekend, the bomb dropped. <laughs> Saturday, May 24th, I got a letter from City Hall stating that because we were still meeting, that they could come and take possession of our building if we continued to meet. 
The letter came on a Saturday morning. I thought it was a citation for meeting. No, it was an ultimatum. They threatened us with something I had never heard of before called summary abatement. I had never heard of it before, but it's on the Chicago law books. That if they look at your building and say, oh, that building is a public nuisance, they can come and take your building away from you. Now, listen, without due process. And they, once they take it, they can do whatever they want to do with it, including demolish it. A representative from the mayor's office called me that day and said, did you get the letter? I said, yeah, I got the letter. He said, listen, I'm not trying to cause trouble. He said, the mayor is, is you said, he said, you may not believe this or know this, but she's really a dedicated Christian. I said, I did not know that. He said, in fact, he said, I would like to come and visit your services tomorrow. And, and I just want to come and observe the, 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 the precautions that you're taking in your service. I said, sure, you can come as long as you pass the health screening at the door. The next day, we entered the building using our screening precautions, and we noticed that we were on video surveillance. A deacon of our church, he's kind of a hothead like I am. He is, he's walking in the church, and they're videoing him. He's walking with his little girls into the church building. And he goes over to the car and says, I don't appreciate you videotaping me as I'm walking in the church with my little girls. Then while I was preaching in the morning service, there was loud bang. I mean loud banging at several doors. And I thought it was a latecomer wanting to get in for church. It's like, man, they really want to get in for church. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on until I was done preaching. And I learned that nine SWAT cars were sent along with two SUVs from City Hall to shut us down. We had the doors locked so they couldn't get in, but a clear message was sent. That's why religious freedom, religious freedom is important. Baptists fought for it, and now I'm watching Protestants and Calvinists stand up for it, and Baptists lay down. I made some phone calls that, that Sunday afternoon, and we found a lawyer that would help us. So the question is, is do you go back and preach Sunday night after all of that? God said, go back and preach Sunday night. We went back and preached Sunday night. God was turning fear into really righteous indignation. And I'm glad that the president had just made comments in favor of churches being open that encouraged us. So my first plan of action was to write a letter to the Department of Justice, knowing that the Department of Justice serves at the pleasure of the president. Surely they'll help us. We got no answer from the Department of Justice. We waited six days. During that time, uh, Mrs. Armacost proofed the letter that we sent to the Department of Justice, and we waited and waited and waited six days. During that time, we were drafting a letter to the president. By that time, I was getting phone calls from radio stations, some of them national, saying, you get a letter to us, we will get it to the president. He'll know what's going on. And just as we were getting ready to send that letter to the president, I got a letter back from the Department of Justice six days later. And this is what the letter said. I told them in the letter, I said, look, they came in, they, beat, they came to our building, they beat on the doors, and, and you're the Department of Justice serving in Chicago at the pleasure of the president. I know you're going to help us. That's basically what I said to them. And the letter that came back said, federal courts do not second guess local leaders and health experts. Now, <laughs> that's what I said. Okay. Now, I believe some low-level employee 
wrote that letter thinking I would just bug off. Oh, I'm sorry. You're a federal court. And so you don't second guess the local leaders. But it's not time to bug off. God's wanting to fight some battles. And what they didn't realize is I had a letter in my hand. They sent it saying that they disagreed with their boss. Who could fire them at will. Everybody knows our president has no problem firing people. And so I called them back and I spoke to the assistant U.S. attorney there uh, at the Dirksen Federal Building. And I said, I've got this letter. I will send it to Fox News. I will send it to Todd Starnes. I will send it to Rush Limbaugh. Do you want to go on record disagreeing with your boss? They said, oh, Pastor Lewis, we will call City Hall tomorrow. We haven't heard a word since. My goal wasn't to get attention. Listen to me. I simply wanted to go to church, preach God's word, unmolested. And after all the rioting and looting that took place, right after the Department of Justice backed off, George Floyd was killed, and the rioting, if you could have seen my neighborhood that day. I'm born and raised in the city of Chicago. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. People trying to carry ATM machines on the city buses. Picture that in your mind. By the time all the dust settled, all of those businesses that Lori Lightfoot said were essential were closed. And God's church was open. Untouched. Jesus Christ was called upon I believe, to defend his church, and he did not fail us. I, I, let me just tell you a couple things, and I'm done. God got us on the radio, WGN Radio. A guy from Moody Church heard us on the radio, was mad because his church was closed. And he said, I got your number. I just want to let you know I'm behind you. I'm sorry I'm calling you so late in the evening. I own an HVAC company, and I'm, I'm out on some jobs. But if you ever need help with anything, let me know. I said, what kind of company do you run? He said, an HVAC company. I said, well, here's our situation. We, got a, we had a boiler that died on us. We replaced it. The insurance gave us money to replace uh, the boiler with, with all these furnaces so we could have everything nice and zoned off, but we don't have air conditioning. This man heard on the radio that a church was just trying to meet like Jesus Christ said to, and he said, I'm going to come over to your building. He showed up on a Saturday. You know, we have people there for men's prayer and soul winning, and he's walking around this stranger with, with a legal pad just for an hour, writing everything down that we needed. He came in and, and said, okay, my crew's going to come in and install everything. I said, at least let us pay for the equipment. He said, no, God's blessed our company. We want to be a blessing to you. About a month and a half ago, I got a phone call. Somebody said, I can't give you any specifics. It was a call from Goldman Sachs in New York. But somebody has donated $25,000 to your church. They want to be anonymous. The check's in the mail. And I thought about how when it was so hard to get up and so scary and all of that and just saying, okay, God, we're going to fight your battle. But you got to fight for us. That money came in, man. We needed to do some building projects and some things to get done for God's work. I'm talking to you about the God of battles. Now, let me bring it home and I'm done. I don't know what you're facing. You don't know everything that I'm facing. But I'm telling you, 
as you fight that battle, you're going to get wore out trying to fight it yourself. You're going to get wore out until you realize it's not your fight. It's not your fight. You put your trust in the God of battles and you will be shocked and humbled and frankly embarrassed at how good God will take care of you. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.